Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking in Matthew 5, verses 38 through following. Tonight's title is The Impossible Dream. The Impossible Dream. But Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 38. Uh, when 73-year-old Alvin Strait of Blue River, Wisconsin, learned that his 80-year-old brother, John, who lived 240 miles away, uh, had suffered a stroke, Alvin wanted to go visit him. Problem was, Alvin didn't see well enough at his age to be able to get a driver's license, even with glasses. And so that caused him problem. So what he did is bought a 1966 John Deere lawnmower, got a 10-foot trailer, you may know the story, and he started driving to his brother's home. He could drive about five miles an hour, 10 hours a day uh, to get there, uh, about 90 miles outside of his brother's home. He ran out of money, and so he had to camp. Uh, he had brought gasoline and camping equipment and clothes and stuff like that he put on the 10-foot trailer. And so he had to camp until his Social Security check was deposited, and he could get some more money to buy gas to go on. And so that's what he did. Finally, after 42 days on the road, Alvin made it within two miles of his brother's home when his tractor broke down. A farmer who was nearby saw him, stopped, talked to him, got the story, and pushed him the final two miles into his brother's driveway where he was able to visit with his brother. Now, that's brotherly love. I mean, I love that story. I, I, I've heard it over the years in different ways, but it's just a great story. But the problem is, we don't live in a world that loves us. We are an enemy to the world. What do you do when you don't have that kind of love? What about the converse, when the people and the world treat you with less than love and maybe as an enemy? Well, Jesus dealt with this, and you read in uh, this passage, and it may say in your Bible, an eye for an eye, in reference to Exodus. Uh, but here's what it says. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Uh, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them to the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take, you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That radical idea demands from us, at least the gospel does, that we are especially effective when it comes to dealing with enemies in, a, in an overt way. We have to act, the Bible says. We have to act differently than our enemies would toward us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask you to help us to understand this passage of Scripture, how to react to those who treat us poorly. We ask you to help us to see the light and understand it in this passage of Scripture. We pray in your holy name. Amen. When, when you look at this passage of Scripture, you have to go back to Exodus. Exodus 21, Exodus 22, Exodus 23, and all those passages of Scripture that, that deal 
in the Old Testament at least, with how God saw you dealing with someone. Like what, what happens when uh, a pregnant woman is there in the room and two guys are brawling and all of a sudden she gets caught up in the middle of the fight? You know, what happens if the child is miscarried? What, wh whose responsibility and what are you supposed to do? It's issues of the law and how we treat one another. So you have to go back to the Mosaic Law to really understand this passage of Scripture when Jesus says, you have heard it said an eye for an eye. Because historically, they understood what Jesus was saying. We may not understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about at least this allusion to the Mosaic Law. So first, let's talk about the Mosaic Law. What was the intent of that law? Well, the intent of the, the Mosaic Law there in Exodus was to, to control excesses. Where people overreacted, you know, uh, somebody slaps you and you stab them. That's an overreaction. And so that's what the Mosaic Law was trying to do. It, it was dealing with anger and the desire for revenge, which is part of a human's psyche. You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. It's just kind of the way humans are. It's the natural instinct to want to hit back. You put two kids in a room and one toy, you'll discover what will happen in that sense of anger and wanting to hit somebody. I, I remember, I, you know, I still remember Khrushchev, you know, banging his shoe on the table and talking about how we're going to bury America. You know, it's that overreaction. Was that really necessary? Was it, was it theater or was it just his emotions got away with him? I think certainly that's a possibility. Our, our whole tendency is to wrath and anger. We want to hurt those who hurt us. We want retribution. It's a part of human nature, the, the bad side of human nature. Not what we were designed for, but what we came to. You look in the Old Testament, you see Cain and Abel, and you get an example of that. The, the sense in which that anger comes out. It's one of the most hideous and ugly traits of the fall, isn't it? How we treat one another. This last week I saw in the news, as you had probably, the kids who were locked up, was it Wisconsin? They were locked up in cages and the refrigerator was barred shut where they couldn't get in to uh, get food. And so the kids were kept from getting food and the parents, I think there were like seven kids, had locked them in cages to keep them. And What kind of a parent would do that to a child? What kind of anger do you have to have inside to treat someone like they're a prisoner or an animal? And so Exodus was trying to set boundaries on the limit of retaliation, how we deal with one another. So the idea, an eye for an eye, was no more than that. Whatever happened to you, you couldn't do anything to someone else uh, anymore. You couldn't get more out of them than was done to you, a tooth for a tooth. The, we would say the punishment fits the crime. Uh, and that's what Exodus was attempting to do. And it was not urging that, okay, uh, you lost an eye, so now I have to take your eye. That's not the point. It wasn't the point then, and it's not the point now. Just because I am hurt doesn't mean I have to respond. But if I respond, Mosaic Law was saying only this far. The excesses, only this far. Uh, it was really given to judges and not to individuals. The idea was that the judge was to react in a specific way as apart from an individual. I'm not supposed to take the law into my own hands, was, was the point. I am supposed to deal honestly as a judge. You see that throughout the Israel's 
history when God would look back and he would, he would judge a nation. One of the things that inevitably he was judging the nation for was the unfair legal system and how it was taking advantage of poor and it was being bought out and you could bribe people and it was unfair and all that. And so God was trying to make sure that, that the law that was carried out by the magistrate or the judge was fair. It was not excessive in its retaliation. But the Pharisees in the New Testament began to teach this. And they ignored, and I don't know how a Pharisee could do it, but they ignored the fact that it was really direction given to judges and began to teach that it was applying to an individual. And when you did that, it, it brought up what you and I would call a legalistic view that we saw of the Pharisees how they treated and how they thought and how they wrote extra books to explain the Bible and would describe in minutia and detail how everything had to be. That's legalism. Uh, legalism now makes it a right and a duty to react. As opposed to in the Old Testament, no, this was just to deal with excesses. Now it's my right to react. It's something that is insisted upon. I didn't even have the right to not respond. I have to respond because it's there. There is then no restraint on the individual. And that's what you see in the New Testament. Um, and that's where you see the, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, what they were dealing with and how they dealt with people around them. It really becomes relevant later on when they deal with Rome. I don't know if you know a whole lot of history about how... Uh, Israel dealt with Rome, but it's, 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 it's fraught with all sorts of, yeah, well, make me. <laughs> that really is the relationship between Rome and the Jews. Make me do it. And the Jews did not want to have anybody over them, and they put up with a lot. And then they would fight Rome into a stalemate and threaten the Romans like Pontius Pilate with, okay, go ahead and see how far this goes, because then Rome's going to come down here and take your place. And, th and that's the history of, of this Relationship. You look in the New Testament, and about the time this was happening, Rome had been there for about 100 years or so. And so they're dealing with this, this idea. And so the Pharisees were very cognizant of the relationship between the government and the individual and how they should be treated. And they saw it legalistically. They did not have restraint, and there was no freedom there. And then you come to this passage in Matthew chapter 5. And you have Christ's teachings, which again is radical. It's completely different than, than what it said. It, it, the principles and the interpretation of what God intended now becomes clear with Jesus talking to them. And it goes against what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were teaching. And so you have this idea that the, the, the Sermon on the Mount changes the code and the ethics of what was going on in Jesus' day. Uh, but it's not really a new kind of law for the Christians. We're not under law, we're under grace. And so it's a new grace, not a new law. And, and the teaching is not to be applied mechanically, because Jesus says, you've heard it said, and then he changes it. He says, it's not like that. It's rather the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. The scribes and the Pharisees were going by the letter of the law. You know, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. 
However I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. And Jesus is telling us, let it go. <laughs> you know, uh, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't feel like you have to do that. It may seem ridiculous and it may seem strange to go against our nature, but that's the impossible dream, I think. To go against our nature and be like God and be forgiving. So what does Jesus say? Well, you, you read there, he says, resist evil. What does that mean? I mean, well, I think in that day and time, he's not just talking about scribes and the Pharisees. He recognizes they're evil. He says they're not going to go where he's going later on. But I think, you know, soldiers, uh, the police, the, the temple guards, uh, the judges who were not fair. Uh, Jesus recognizes what's going on. But I don't think it's necessary necessarily just the religious leaders I, I think he recognizes that the world as a whole in his day was not a fair world i don't think that jesus expects us to expect the world to be fair in our day nor does he expect this to extend to non-christians this is for us the way we act this is the way he describes for us to act like in the beatitudes i think this teaching is impossible except for Jesus and his lordship in your life. You cannot rightly turn the other cheek unless you know why you're doing it. Just simply say, turn the other cheek. Why am I turning the other cheek? I'm turning the other cheek because I'm a Christian. Because I let the law of Christ live in me. I let his grace flow through me. I have to be born again, I think, for this passage of scripture to work. The world is not going to do it just because I say it's in the Bible. Uh, a, a world, a nation, a non-Christian, uh, I don't think it's going to apply to them. I don't think they're going to let it happen. I, they don't feel like they're under restraints of the Bible to do what they want. Try to punish their child today and find out how far that goes. It's not going to happen. But it's about my relationship to my nation, to my state, to my community, to the people around me. Uh, I am related to what goes on. So am I going to be stuck in a sense of revenge? Am I going to worry about my rights? Am I going to worry about my possessions? That, I think, is the background for this passage of Scripture. So when Jesus says an eye for an eye, he's talking about all of this. So where does it leave us? I think it leaves us in four places. In four verses. First, how to react to physical assault. How to react to physical assault. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. All of that changes when Christ is reigning in a person's heart. You've heard it said. He's saying, there's something back there that you've lived. You're not going to live that now, that way. I'm changing it. I'm making it different. But I say unto you that you must not resist, you must not resist, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Do we live like that? Do, do we, you know, is it not just, I mean, I haven't had anybody slap me recently. <laughs> you know? But maybe they've said something to me that's offensive. Maybe they've written something about me offensive. Maybe they texted something to me. Maybe they've done something to my property or something that feels like it's, it's, a, it's an assault on me. 
Luke eleven twenty one says, when a wise man armed keepeth his house, there is a point at which, you know, I, I protect myself. Yes, I understand that. Jesus even said that. That was his words. And Paul, you know, even goes in 2 Timothy 4, 14, Alexander the coppersmith did much evil, but the Lord will reward him, he says. Paul recognized that even though somebody had done something evil to him, he was going to leave it in the Lord's hands. He was not going to fight back against this evil. In the kingdom, you will be able to turn the cheek. It reminds me of the story of an Irishman that uh, happened to him one day that somebody came up and actually did smack him up in the face. And he turned the other cheek. And he smacked him on that. And then the Irishman beat the man to a pulp. (laughs) And the Irishman heard the man on the floor say, why did you beat me up the second time? He said, well, the Lord said turn the other cheek, but he didn't say what to do after that. So I, I think it's implicit, though, that maybe there's more than that. Jesus says, how often do we forgive them? 70 times 7. I, I, yes, he did tell us what to do. That I am to not respond in a way that the world expects itself to respond. I do what Christ would do. Second, how do you react to a legal assault? And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand him over your coat. In the New Testament, in King James, says cloak. In the New Testament, there were two pieces. There was a coat and there was a cloak. The coat was the inner part. Uh, think of it like maybe your undergarments and maybe a shirt or something like that that you would wear just as a normal daily covering. But then the cloak would be something that you would wear... Uh, to block the sun, to block the rain. You would even use the cloak to lay down at night, say you were traveling, and it would become your blanket. It would be the thing that you would sleep with. And, and, and that's a pretty important piece in your life. And yet he says, turn it over. Give the one who asks to you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If you've ever talked to a banker and asked him if he's living by the Sermon on the Mount, I doubt that he would agree that he is. It would be hypocritical for us to assume that bankers operate on the Sermon on the Mount, even the Christian ones that we know. Uh, When the Lord is on the throne, though, I mean, it will be that way. But right now, he's not here, and the devil is on the throne, and he's got a few people in power who live differently. In our day, the business, the common business is not operating under this law. I read a story about a number of years ago where uh, Archbishop McGee of Ireland said it was impossible to conduct the affairs of the British nation on the basis on the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that amazing? He said, we can't, we can't run our country on, on, on that kind of philosophy. We, we can't, you know, we, we can't just lend to anybody that we want to. We can't, the, the principles of the Bible and Christians are fine, basically he's saying, But the world lives differently, the courts act differently, and I can't expect them to act other than their nature is. I mean, the courts frustrate me sometimes. I know they do you. The way that certain things happen, I mean, we had had a reversal in Oklahoma of the abortion laws here just this week. Uh, you know, it goes back and forth. We ping pong back and forth about the different laws and why we believe one way or the other. I, I will never be satisfied with an earthly government. 
I will never be satisfied with it because it doesn't follow Christ. I also can't expect a theocracy. That means where God's in control. That's what the Jews were supposed to have, but they said, we want a king like everybody else, and they got Saul. Good for them. (laughs) That was a great trade, wasn't it? But the world doesn't want a theocracy because the world wants to do what the world wants to do. They think the Sermon on the Mount is a great document, but on Monday morning, the cold-blooded business person comes out and he acts differently. And maybe where he could lend and do less, he won't because that's not the way the world works. You and I know we need to be helpful to those in need. And there are many people who act according to their Christian principles. I think of many of the original hospitals that were started were started because Christians started them. In Oklahoma City, it was the Baptist Hospital. Uh, it's changed over. You know, it's been bought out by somebody else, and uh, they, they treat it differently. But in the lobby is, is, is a picture of a Baptist minister who started that hospital in Oklahoma City or an orphanage or, or works of charity that the Bible call acts of love. They follow the principles of the gospel. There are people in the world who do that. I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is I can't expect the world to act like Jesus is talking here because they don't know the Savior. This is a passage for us. It's not a passage for the world. I can't beat the world over this, its head with this verse because it doesn't react to them. They don't know the Savior. They're not saved. Third, uh, how to react to an official demand. You read that passage of Scripture and look at verse 41. Um, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. If you know the history, you know that the, the Roman Empire could compel people to carry their stuff. That way the soldier wasn't worn out when he got to where he was going. And so I can find somebody and I make them carry it a mile. In this day and time, it's written in some of the histories that the Jews knew and marked a mile from their home. And they would walk to the mile marker, take everything off and drop it and said, I've done my mile and turn around and walk home. See, that was the relationship between Rome and and the Jewish people. I am going no farther. That's as far as I'm going. I I don't think when Jesus gave us this go the extra mile, some people call it the smile mile. It's where you get the opportunity to help somebody understand in disaster relief uh, in Oklahoma and around the nation when Baptists are involved in that. Ultimately, people will say, why are you here? You don't live here. You drove all the way across the country. You brought your chainsaws, your trucks, your front-end loaders, and you, you're not asking for anything. Matter of fact, you're feeding us. Why are you here? We get to share with them the gospel. The smile mile. I've gone the extra mile. heard a story about a car dealer who uh, was selling a farmer a, a car, and he told him how much the car was going to cost. And he was like, well, then, of course, there's the upgrade, $400 on the uh, air conditioner. And then there's, uh, well, there's that other upgrade for white wall tires and the mats and all that. So he just, you know, charged him extra fees and everything. Later that week, the uh, car dealer decided he wanted to buy a cow from the same farmer. So he goes to the farm, and he says, I want to buy this cow. And the farmer says, well, it's $400. $50 extra for the two-tone exterior. for both sets of horns and the automatic rear fly swatter, 15 bucks. You know, 
I think we need to be careful how we respond to people. I don't need to be a doormat. I, I don't need to seek out revenge. But I need to, in the Lord's time, recognize that sometimes I'm going to get official demands. The government's going to require certain things from me that I may not agree with, but if I can help, I might do something different than they expect and have a chance to be that smile mile and share the gospel. I think it's the key to an attitude change uh, for us and maybe them. When they see us willing to work with and not have a bad attitude about it. I think it's the key to us being successful in our relationship with Jesus when we recognize that I sacrifice for other people like Jesus sacrificed for me. I think also it, it helps build better relationships. That when they see us in that light as someone who's willing to go the extra mile, literally, it might break down some barriers that otherwise would not have been there. We can try to react differently to official demands. Verse 42, how to react, number four, to a request for help. Verse 42 says, give to uh, the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Um, you know, Matthew twenty-two twenty-one. 21, either on the last verse or this verse says render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar uh, I, I can give the government certain things but, but some, at some point it's my discretion what I'm going to do uh, maybe it's like you go to your next door neighbor and you say to them can I borrow my lawnmower back so I can mow my own yard there are some people who borrow stuff and never give it back you know they just, they're just that kind of people and I'm sure we've always probably had somebody who's borrowed something and not returned it. Uh, I don't think we have to be gullible. But I think we do have to recognize there may be unreasonable requests from people. There may be unfair requests from people. There might even be manipulative and emotional twists of the arm to get what some people want. Just some people are like that. They live that kind of life. But it helps us to put in perspective personal relationships versus possessions. What is more important, the relationship I have with the people around me and my ability to build bridges to share the gospel or my set of clippers? What's more important? I think the Bible tells us that our possessions are not important, but that human sacrifice, me sacrificing myself for, for someone else, is important. That I live like Jesus, and I do what he did. When I look at this passage of Scripture, and I see the world today, I recognize this verse is for me. It's not for the people around me that don't know Jesus. I can't expect them to live like this. They're going to live like their Lord wants them to, the devil, until such time as they come to know Jesus. Oh, there might be an outlier. Maybe someone was raised by Christian parents and they act nice and they're friendly people. That happens. Sure it does. But ultimately, I can't expect people to live like this, but I have to. Look at the verse again. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye. I don't have to do that. 
But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. I can give back to people. I can act differently. If someone were to sue me, uh, what do I do? Do I give them my cloak? Do I give them? I give them more than is expected. If someone forces me to go, I go the extra mile. If someone wants to borrow from me, I give them willingly so that I can build a bridge. You read the other passages that follow. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But then he says, what? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You read this passage. That can't be done unless you know Jesus. It just can't. It can't be done. And other people will not, never want to do it apart from knowing Jesus. I read a story about a little girl who had a, uh, a doll collection. And one of her relatives said, uh, which, which is your favorite doll? Do you, you know, I know you love all your dolls. It's obvious. You know how they're all decorated around rooms, set up on her bed, and they're all looking, and they're all just, you know, it's obvious that she loves them. Which one do you love the most? The little girl said, promise not to laugh if I tell you. So she reached in her bed under the pillow and brought out a doll that was ragged. It was broken. Its nose was kind of deformed. Its eye didn't open up all the way like the other eye did. And she said, this one. And the, and the family member said, why that one? Because if I don't love it, nobody will. Isn't that what Jesus is saying in that passage of Scripture? If you don't love them, no one will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and ask you to help us to live up to this passage of Scripture, to act as you want us to act, to, to be the person that goes the extra mile in the world around us that hates us, to love our enemies and those who persecute us. Lord, we live in a world that needs love, real love, not manufactured or manipulative love, real love. Help us to be the people that demonstrate that to a world where no one will love them unless we do. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Uh, I would tell you that uh, I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow for uh, immunologist. Yay, team. And so, you know, I get a chance to go 